You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. So who's your pick to win? On one side, you have a man with an incredible career. He is leading the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in search of a seventh Super Bowl ring which is just mind-boggling to think about, especially because he's a year older than I am. On the other side, you have a young guy leading the Kansas City Chiefs, hoping to cement his place as he builds his dynasty, whereas the older one's probably looking at, who knows, but maybe capping his off. And I don't know who you're rooting for. I don't even know if you care that much. I honestly haven't watched a professional football game all year long. I do know who's in the Super Bowl, though, and I'll probably be watching it. But uh, I wonder who Jesus' pick would be. And that's kind of strange to think about. If anybody really doesn't care about some just athletic event happening this year when there's so many bigger things to be concerned about, particularly people's souls, and Jesus, of course, does. Does he really care about who wins or loses the Super Bowl? I don't know that he does. But here's the thing. Jesus picks you. Even though you don't have a chance at winning the game today, because you're obviously not playing in it. Jesus still picks you. Mark chapter 7 Now the Pharisees and some of the experts in the law who came from Jerusalem gathered around him, and they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate their bread with unclean hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they perform a ritual washing, holding fast to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They hold fast to many other traditions, the washing of cups, pots, kettles, and dining couches. The Pharisees and the experts in the law asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? He, that is Jesus, said to them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you, hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. The Pharisees were good at playing the game. They knew how to live up to the expectation of the people. They knew how to live up to the expectation of themselves, of their predecessor, these elders that Jesus references. And in some ways, they thought they could live up to the expectations of God because God cares about cleanliness. And so they viewed the world through a lens of the clean and the unclean. And they strove with every fiber of their being in what we can even say would be an admirable way. They strove to be clean. Meaning that those clean things pleased God. You know, striving for that cleanliness, striving to not be stuck in the mire and filth of the world, but rather be closer to God. I don't know if they would have used that language or not necessarily in those ways, but if anybody in Israel was committed to the 
cleanliness and the passion of being clean and, and felt the pressure of that desire to be clean, it was the Pharisees. And they would often set standards for others to follow and tell them, again, like the elders and the traditions being passed on, of, well, in order to be clean, if you want to be clean, you have to do this, 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 your pot, your kettle, your couch. Pretty crazy things, because they're not worried about germs. They're just looking at the ceremonial cleanliness of what they do and how they eat and who they're with or not with, because they want to be clean. As the law talks about, as the book of Leviticus goes into great detail about, and these Pharisees would wear the long white robes, as Jesus talked about, and have their long phylacteries tied and do everything to the to the nth degree that they could to follow and abide by both the law and the traditions passed down to them that they thought helped them follow the law. And so they were good at it. On the other side, you had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were more progressive, not quite stuck in their ways in some, some ways, and when it kind of suited them, they were. But the Sadducees were more politically active. They were more uh, progressive in how they uh, were the leaders of the city places. The, the Pharisees were in the rural areas. The Sadducees were in the cities and Jerusalem specifically. And it was the Sadducees that often coordinated most closely with the Roman governors and the other officials. And they, well, they could carry their way too. And they were the members of the Jewish ruling council. They had the majority of representation in the Jewish ruling council. And in that way, they could be viewed as, well, they're the winners. Now, that they're the ones who have figured out. That they're the ones accomplishing God's will. And yeah, maybe they're having to compromise some, but they're getting it done. And Jesus, shockingly, whenever both of them tried to curry Jesus's favor, he said, no thanks. I'm with the sinner. I'm with the tax collector, even prostitutes, even those that were considered the very dregs and bottom of society, the poor, the lame, the crippled. He said, I'm with them. And in the contest of power in the contest of who would come out on top, and just in the contest of this idea of clean versus unclean, that the Pharisees were sure that they were the winners. Jesus said, you haven't won anything. Matter of fact, you take these wonderful laws of God and you twist them because you make it all about the teachings of men. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. Now, when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer. And this means that all foods are clean. He said, what comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, out of the human heart, come evil, 
evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus tells us, and these Pharisees who were so confident that they were clean, don't worry about what goes into you. What goes into you doesn't affect the cleanliness that God cares about. The cleanliness that God cares about well, matters in the heart and what you do, what come out, your actions, your thoughts, and your desires, and the things that you can keep secret because, oh, you can show everybody how you wash and follow all these extra rules to the nth degree. Jesus tells them in Matthew, Woe to you experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! You give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guide, you strain out a gnat, yet swallow a camel. Focus on all these little aspects of being clean. And you think that somehow in doing those things, you make God happy? You please the Almighty? What the Almighty cares most about, you're neglecting the weightier matters, the more important things, the things in your heart. And where the Pharisees could look down on all the losers. Because they were clean and everybody else wasn't quite as clean. And some were just downright unclean. They would look down on all the losers. And they puffed out their chest and knew that they pleased God. Well, actually... If Jesus was picking a side, if Jesus is picking the one that he was behind, he was with, that he was for, that he was rooting for, it's not these who thought that they were clean. Actually, Jesus appreciates, recognizes the inherent humanity and image of God and goodness of even those caught in uncleanliness as the very next story in Mark tells us about. After Jesus left there, he went to the region of Tyre. When he went into a house, he did not want anyone to know, but he was not able to escape notice. Instead, a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, again, this idea of being unclean, this woman had an unclean spirit, immediately heard about him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, so she wasn't Jewish. This woman was not Jewish, she was of the Gentiles, she was Greek, a Syrophoenician woman, and that inherently made her unclean. And so for her to be in Jesus' presence and to come in into this house and interact with Jesus, all those clean Pharisees would have been looking down the nose at her. Looking down the nose at Jesus. Why would you interact like that? And the other unclean people that Jesus interacted with, remember, he reached out and touched the leper. Remember the woman who grabbed the hem of his garment and reached out? She was unclean too with her issue of blood. And here's this woman coming to him and she's not even a Jew. And Jesus 
recognizes that fact, makes a big point of it. She asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be satisfied first. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus often said, and even the apostles reiterated it, the Jew first and then the Gentile. That you know, Jesus came for the Jews and to the Jews as king of the Jews as the fulfillment of the promises of Israel. And here he is in a Greek region, staying in a house. We're not told about the house. But this Greek woman comes in, even though Jesus is trying to avoid notice for whatever reason. Maybe arrest, maybe to let things cool down to continue his ministry without uh, the op opposing forces uh, and kind of let things settle down. Maybe that's an approach to, I think he probably just wanted to rest uh, as he often did going up onto the mountain to pray or things like that. And he's in this area that really a really good Jew, a clean Jew like a Pharisee wouldn't be caught dead in if he could help it. And here's this Gentile woman and she asked for help and Jesus says, I didn't come here for you, sorry. And talks about even dogs and scraps. And it's kind of, I mean, a little bit off-putting. Uh, if someone told me that I was just a dog and that it's not good to give the dog the food on from the table, that belongs to the children. But the woman understands the conversation here. She doesn't take offense at it. She answered, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, because you said this, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And, and these two stories, the one about the Pharisees taking issue with Jesus's Disciples and how they failed to wash their hands correctly before they ate because they're so concerned about the little things. Here's a big thing. Here's a Gentile woman. Then Jesus is a Jew and came you know, to minister to the Jews and lived his life among his fellow Jews. And the church, of course, opened up into the whole Gentile world. But Jesus's life very much centered in and around Jerusalem and the other villages and in Galilee and um, his apostles were Jewish and it is, uh, he was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. But this woman who's on the outskirts, she might be unclean. She's in a better place than those Pharisees. And therefore she's blessed. Therefore her daughter with an unclean spirit is blessed. And those Pharisees who thought they were so clean, in some ways they had the unclean spirit, not the demon. They just had their own hard hearts. And that's what was unclean. Like Jesus said, it's what's in your heart that makes you unclean. Pride, envy, wickedness, adultery, uh, those uh, thinking that somehow it's okay for you to have your sins, but everybody else, you can look down on their sins. That's inherently unclean. So Jesus is 
flipping it. Whereas the Pharisees thought they were the clean and everybody else is unclean. Jesus, in this interaction with the Syrophoenician woman, actually shows how the unclean can have clean hearts. People with mistakes, people in wrong circumstances, people outside of even what we would consider the kingdom of God, as this woman was, outside of the Jewish nation before the kingdom of God was opened up through the gospel of Jesus that went out to all nations. That hasn't happened yet. And so she is outside. She, she's less than. And yet Jesus is showing, no, if Jesus had to pick a winner, he picks her. Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9, Jesus also told this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. The tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. I tell you that this man went down to his home justified, righteous, rather than Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you think you know that you're the winner? Well, Jesus says no. The one you think is the loser, that's the one Jesus picks. That's the one Jesus is behind. If you'll forgive the illustration, that's the one Jesus bets on. Not money's on them. Because He's invested in the broken. He doesn't mind investing in the broken and the unclean and the struggling and the sinful and the hurting because he knows that his spirit can heal. He knows his spirit can transform as long as there is humility. When there's humility, God can work. When there's not humility, when there's pride and confidence, that's how we quench the spirit. That's how these Pharisees quench the spirit and never got the spirit in the first place. Not that all Pharisees are bad. There's some good ones and there's some that join the early church we see in the book of Acts. And like Nicodemus who came to him at night. He was a Pharisee too, so I don't want to condemn the whole group, but Jesus does point out their collective flaw of pride is that of all the flaws of everybody here, that's the one I can't work with. That's the one you've got to fix if you want to come to me and receive what I have to heal. Because you have to realize you stink. I know today is all about football and you're looking forward to the big game. And I want to tell you a story about basketball. Uh, I played basketball my freshman year. I played football all the way through, so I'm a football guy too, and I do love it. I love playing it more than I love watching it, but uh, I played basketball too. 
Here's the thing, though. I, I did okay in football. I was a starter, and I was a lineman, and, you know, we went... We, we won our district my senior year and junior year, and uh, I felt like I was pretty competent. Basketball, on the other hand, I liked it, but it didn't like me. Uh, when I was real little, my dad worked with me to play basketball. When I was in Little Dribblers, and so I was just elementary age, and one thing that my dad did was teach me how to dribble with my head up. So all the other kids that, you know, first, second grade, they're dribbling like this, their head down. Well, I could dribble with my head up. Because my dad had spent hours working on it. And I'm pretty decent at it. And so in first and second grade, little dribblers, I was the point guard. I was uh, the starting point guard on my little dribbler team. And we did okay. And I could shoot, you know, as good as the rest of the kids too. But I, you know, if anything, I could just dribble with my head up and see who I needed to throw it to. And I was ahead of the curve. Unfortunately, my skill level did not progress from the time I was in the first and second grade to the time I was a freshman in high school. So dribbling with my head up suddenly wasn't quite so impressive. Uh, and actually, in my freshman year, the coach suggested that I find something else to do with my time rather than be on the basketball team. It was a small school. I didn't get cut because... Uh, there weren't enough really to worry about cutting people, but I was riding the bench pretty well. I was keeping that bench really, really warm for all the other players. And I, I just enjoyed practice. I did. And in some ways, I kind of wish I would have stuck it out, even though the coach suggested that I do something else. But I took his advice and went off and did track instead, track and field, and threw the shot put. But uh, my basketball skills are less than wonderful. I'll still play. If you want to play a pickup game basketball, I'll come. Just don't expect too much. I can dribble with my head up, okay? I might not be able to hold on more, but I can dribble with my head up. And there's the basketball season kicks up. And it's this year again that's strange and out of sorts. But as you know, we look forward to, to basketball. I'm not going to win the NCAA championship because I'm not even going to play. I'm not going to be the NBA MVP because I'm not even going to play. And if I even tried to step foot out there onto any of those courts, I would be obliterated. But if I stepped out there with humility, Jesus would say, I pick him. And everybody else might laugh. Those Pharisees probably laughed. What in the world? That guy stinks. Jesus would actually say, and so do you. <laughs> you just, you don't know it. You can't smell your stink because it's the stink of pride. And I'd much rather have somebody that's clumsy, can't shoot, can't pass, can't even dribble all that well, not even close, but if we are humble, like this Syrophoenician woman teaches us to be, Jesus says, I'm with you, and I'll stick with you. Jesus is not a fair weather fan. Jesus is in our corner as long as 
we realize we need them every single moment of every single day. And it's not our place to look down and judge or to criticize others who aren't quite doing things the way that we would approve of. They don't need our approval. They just need Jesus. And if they're humble, Jesus says, I'm here behind you too. Just follow me. Turn. Follow me. And it doesn't take skill. It doesn't take success. It doesn't take all these ways that the world would classify us as winner or loser. Clean or unclean and modern standards, whatever those might be. Now Jesus says, you just follow. You step where I step. You walk how I walk. We'll get there. And we will succeed unto eternity. We'll win. I'll win for you. Just stay with me and leave your pride and your arrogance and your hard heart and your, uh, the way that you justify your own actions because you think you're better. Leave all that behind. Drop that. Trust me. Have faith in me. Put your faith in me. Believe in me. Surrender to me and follow my teachings. And we'll get there.